Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Beamaz and Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome in, Beamaz and Beamer. No Beamer today, once again. Uh, I'm uh, Brian Mazarowski, hanging out with you here for the next hour on WBEN. Um, hey, just announced, yeah, don't want to miss this, James Taylor coming to Buffalo, Key Bank Center, December 13th, tickets on sale. A week from this Friday is what it looks like. Yeah, a week from this Friday. Tickets are on sale for James Taylor, December 13th, who is, uh, he's still kicking. How old is he? 73 years old, James Taylor, and uh, still going around. He can, his style of music, I would imagine he's not going to disappoint, right? I mean, you, you don't, you can only slow down so much if you're James Taylor, right, from where you started from. So I, I don't know if he's going to disappoint so much. James Taylor and his all-star band, which, listen, I, I don't doubt it's a band full of amazing musicians, better than 99% of people who ever pick up an instrument. But can you call something an all-star band if I can't name a single person who's in the band? It does seem a little, I don't know. But uh, James Taylor coming to Buffalo. I, I like that. That's going to be a big show. It's going to be a good one, hopefully. Um, you know, things go off without a hitch, and you don't have to jump to, through uh, too many hoops to get there this coming December 13th, which it, which it does remind me of what uh, we were talking about very early this morning, if you weren't with us. Um, I, I love that. The last show I went to, up until this Sunday, this Sunday's my big return. Can't wait to uh, get out there and experience some real live music again. But uh, the last concert I went to see was Kiss at the arena back in February of 2020. And Kiss is dropping <laughs> David Lee Roth from their tour. They're resuming their tour. David Lee Roth was opening, and they said, get out, right? Um, he performed in Buffalo with Kiss the last time they were here. Gene Simmons said, during Dave's heyday, nobody did what he did. He was the ultimate front man. And then I don't know what happened to him. You get modern-day Dave, and he uh, likens it to Elvis Presley. I prefer to remember Elvis Presley in his prime back in Memphis. I don't want to think of bloated, naked Elvis on the bathroom floor. That's what uh, Gene Simmons said uh, when talking about David Lee Roth, who I didn't think was that bad. But, you know, he was wearing a baseball hat. He did look like a just like a, a guy off the street. And he went up to, like, there is a point where you do want to put some effort into it. I know you don't have the hair that you once did, but a little bit of effort into what you're doing. 
Uh, but I, I thought that was funny. Kiss uh, saying, you know, goodbye, David Lee Roth. You're, you're just, you are too washed up to play with us, a band whose heyday was in the 70s. That's got to hurt. That's got to hurt. But, uh, yeah, James Taylor, a uh, week from this Friday, get your tickets for uh, Key Bank Center here in Buffalo. I, I'm, I think I'm like a lot of people out there today. My mind is just all over the place. My mind is spinning with all the news that's going on. And, you know, maybe I'll let you guys uh, steer the direction of the show, the brief time that we have uh, with you, right? Um, I, I, I'm, it's spinning everywhere from COVID to, you know, you hear all these stories and I'm getting things in my inbox now. You know, a concert I'm going to about a week from now has uh, uh, put a vaccination mandate on it, which it is it is interesting to watch what different artists do and, and how these things are decided. Because I'm going to the same place um, it, within a week's time. And one of these, uh, this upcoming Sunday, there's no proof of vaccination, no anything. It's just, uh, let's go, have a good time, uh, concerts outside. And then not a week later, that Thursday, I just got in my inbox, you have to bring your proof of vaccination to uh, be able to go into that same place that just a little bit earlier didn't have that. And it's just interesting to watch how these things are being implemented across different you know areas. I find that, and I do think it's funny, that if you are, you know, all these decisions are not made just willy-nilly or they're not completely made out of the uh, out of an abundance of caution, right? That's everybody's favorite term over the last year. Uh, but I, every decision's a little bit political, right? So I, I think if you look at a lot of the, we'll take the music and, and the touring acts, for example. I think if you look at, and I would say this for sure, that if I'm looking at these two shows I'm going to, it, it is I think notable how. The one that's saying, okay, we are now going to require proof of vaccination would be the one where you can look at the audience going to the show and say, yeah, probably most of the people there are vaccinated, right? I mean, it's not preventing that many people from going in. Like, you are not going to make that announcement probably if that viewpoint doesn't align with most of the people who have already bought the ticket to that show. Right. It kind of makes sense that way. Um, and that's what I think you see a lot of things uh, going on. But there, it is bringing up like these concerns again of a new normal. And, and I think we heard that a little bit when it comes to schools. And we talked with Sam Radford a little bit earlier on. And uh, you heard from him yesterday as well about that uh, call for remote learning all the time for remote learning to remain as an option for all students um, from here on out. And, you know, there's a couple ways to look at this. Now, we talked with Sam Radford, uh, who's been a parent advocate in the city of Buffalo for uh, over a decade now, um, for certainly as long as I've been covering uh, Buffalo schools and what's going on in the region. Uh, he, If you listen to him, I think... You have trouble hearing the points that he's trying to make and and saying, you know, that's a terrible idea. Because on its face, I think it's a it's a great idea. On its face, what he's saying is, listen, we have people who learn in different ways. We have new technology that we've never had before. 
And we should have the ability to be able to adapt and provide people with the best education that they can receive, right? And that's basically the gist of what he's saying when he says that we want to expand remote learning opportunities. We want to make it available for all. And I don't think anyone would listen to that and say, no, that's outrageous. You're totally wrong, right? That sounds like a perfectly reasonable thing to say. However, just like everything, how many times have we said this on the show? You know, nothing happens in a vacuum. Nothing happens in the uh, safe space of perfect reasoning. Nothing happens in the ideal situation, right? There's always going to be unintended consequences, and there's always going to be some reaction to an action that's taken. And so when I hear about the idea of remote learning as an option for every student going forward of continuing this, and then I look at the track record we've had in the school district in the city of Buffalo over the last lifetime of me, or especially over the last two school years where remote learning's been done, And I think the reasonable question is, how can you expect this to go on in that ideal way? How could you ever expect things to work out in the ideal fashion when we're talking about a a scenario, a school district, where things never work out in the ideal scenario? I mean, you look at some of the just some of the issues uh, when it comes to the Buffalo School District and what they've had over the last year and a half. And, and and some of the things that might be even contributing, I would say, to what we're seeing in this increased call for a return to remote learning for everybody. I, for sure, right, and I don't think you'd find anybody who would doubt this, that for some people, for some students in school, that remote learning environment will be beneficial and better than what a normal classroom is. Sure. I mean, that would stand to reason that there's going to be some kids out there, maybe it's five, maybe it's 500, maybe it's 5,000 in the district. I would gear more toward five. You know, I, I, I would say it's more on the low end, but you're going to have some kids who will do better academically who would learn better in a remote setting outside of a classroom outside of maybe added distractions um, in in an area where they have uh, maybe some one-on-one help uh, next to them in the form of a parent or a grandparent or an extra tutor or, or someone else who's watching over the kid for sure you're going to have that but is that true in the vast majority of cases and is that true to the point where we're going to say, all right, remote learning for everybody. And how do you know for sure when that is the case? And what are we basing this on? Because that's one of the concerns I have when when you hear about remote learning for everybody, right? When you hear uh, the idea that we're going to expand this. And by the way, the school district says that that's not happening. That is currently the plan now. The only way you can stay in a remote setting is if you have a legitimate medical reason 
for not wanting to go into a classroom, uh, for not wanting to expose yourself to the risk of COVID. So this is only a call from certain groups within the city who joined forces yesterday to ask for this. And I wonder what we're kind of basing this on, that there are enough kids who have benefited from remote learning to the point that we'd want to now all of a sudden invest resources into making this an entire I mean, it would basically have to be an entire separate school system for kids to have that option every single school year uh, to basically log on, learn on your computer whenever you want to, whenever suits your needs. And I'm wondering if it does have something to do with the numbers that we've seen over the last year. You look at what was reported, and I don't have this for the most recent uh, school year, but we'll go back to... 2020, where the high school graduation rate jumped 11.6%, eight times greater than the statewide increase in graduation rate. That's what uh, the Buffalo Schools was touting uh, back in 2020. But what was kind of left out and what we heard from uh, reporters over at Investigative Post was that 22% of the graduating class was exempted from passing mandated regents exams they didn't have to pass the normal rigorous exams they didn't have to go through the normal process to graduate as they normally would have instead they only needed to receive a passing grade in individual classes and in the 2020 school year that criteria was uh, taken back a little bit let's say Uh, the uh, generous grading policy helped some struggling students maybe succeed, maybe achieve grades that they normally would not get otherwise. So I think it would stand a reason, and it is a reasonable question to ask is, okay, is that number that is a little warped in favor of the student, is maybe an inflated grade number while working from home and working remotely, playing into maybe a parent or a student's thought that I learned better from home, right? I mean, if my grade is better now than it was when I was in school, well, then it would stand to reason that I work better from home. And, you know, okay, that's okay logic. But if we're looking at the grading and the uh, criteria to graduate and all these things being made easier, I, you have to take the full picture into consideration. You know, are you really learning better or did you just get a better grade? Because there might be a difference uh, based on how things have gone over the last year and a half in schools. So these are the things that worry me when you start talking about opening up remote schooling for everybody and, uh, you know, addressing your resources wisely to uh, make sure that everybody is paid attention to. Now, Uh, What Sam Radford said, again, it's hard to argue with anything that he said. You know, he said, well, you can look at this and say, all right, well, you have, say, 500 kids choose now to learn remotely, to have this remote learning option. And maybe you find that 100 of them are actually performing worse. You tell them that they have to come back to school and learn five days a week. And again, Solid argument, right? Solid reasoning. The counter argument is, in this specific example in the city of Buffalo, 
does anybody have confidence that underperforming students are going to be recognized and then told to come back to a classroom, right, and and helped in a way that they need the help in whatever way they've fallen behind over the last two years, given the track record of the school district. Because I, I don't know how you can have confidence that that would be the case. Ideally, that would be the case in this scenario. But I, how can anybody say that, yeah, we trust these kids to be identified, selected, brought back in, and then given the help they need uh, five days a week? And also, they wanted to stay home from school. We're going to entrust that they're actually going to show up five days a week when they're called back in. I, you know, again, ideally, sure. But do you have confidence that that would actually happen? Uh, do you have confidence that the resources would be put in the right direction? Uh, do we have confidence that they want this to happen as soon as possible, that in let's give them until the halfway point of the school year, right? Let's say in five months' time that this district, because we are talking about Buffalo specifically, but you could say any district, any school throughout the entire country can successfully launch an independent online learning program for kids who supposedly do better in that setting. I, I don't think that's a reasonable ask of districts, and I don't think it's possible, even if you gave them three years, <laughs> that that would happen, right? Oh, I, oh, why, why should I believe that that can happen? I, I, we look at the Buffalo School, there was some reporting uh, recently I mean, the district right now spending more on health insurance for retired teachers than active ones, $66 million a year about. I, and I'm expected that all of a sudden we're going to set up this brand new thing and allocate resources appropriately to address the needs that pop up because of this. And, and this is all beside the fact of what we spoke with uh, before we talked with Sam Radford. We talked with Dr. Stephen Turkovich, medical director at Oshai Children's Hospital who for the past year and a half has been a very strong advocate that kids need to be in school because school is not just about the grade on the paper. School is about from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade in high school. School is about learning to work with others, learning to be around others, learning to work with somebody on a group project Learning to not talk with your mouth full at lunch when you're at the table with somebody else. Learning how to interact those social skills that help us succeed in life. And that part is completely separate from everything we've talked to, but how are we then going to address that aspect? And that is something that I feel like, again, is being just completely swept under the rug, even though we've heard again and again from expert after expert, pediatrician, um, we've talked with psychologists on this, uh, we've talked to just about everyone, right? The importance of being inside of that setting, of being with other people, I, I mean, is is paramount. And now we have a renewed push to continue the online learning where I'm supposed to trust an 11-year-old to be in his bedroom next to the PlayStation to do his schoolwork and 
be learning better that way. I don't see that as being the rational thought. You can weigh in. 803-0930 on our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board or by giving us a call this morning. We'll be back after this. BMAS and Beamer on WBEN. It's BMAS and Beamer. Now Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. All right, welcome back here. Uh, talking about the new normal, I guess, of talking about schools, which is this remote option uh, that we've been mentioning throughout the uh, day here because of a call in the city of Buffalo to provide a remote option for all students, uh, not dependent on whether or not you need one medically or not. Uh, some reaction coming in, somebody uh, talking uh, about homeschooling, uh, text on our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, 803-0930. You cannot dismiss the success of homeschooling. And, you know, okay, this, that, that is a different thing, right? And, and homeschooling is still the parent's prerogative. And education, I, I mean, up until a certain point, is the parent's prerogative. It should be. They, they should have control over a lot of that decision. I mean, that's part of the argument on that I've been making for months on allowing local school districts to determine what restrictions, if any, they have with a reasonable community discussion with a lot of parents. But, I mean, homeschooling is a commitment. Homeschooling is not remote learning. The two are not equal. I mean, if you ask any teacher, right, I mean, homeschooling is a commitment by a parent, not just a student, by a parent. And you can, and this isn't a city point. You can ask any teacher from, you know, the city to Williamsville, Pioneer, Sweet Home, anywhere in between. You're going to trust all parents to be involved if they say, yeah, sure, they can learn from home and do remote learning. I, no, not all parents are involved in their kids' education the way that this ideally would happen. So to entrust that, uh, you know, you're going to have this enhanced involvement from parents while also, you know, having them still work and, you know, do all these other things, but also to care that much more about their own child's education is, I mean, it's just... Not realistic. It's not realistic to ask somebody else chiming in that what you're talking about and what Sam Radford is talking about is homeschooling. If a child learns better there, you have parents at home who are kind of helping that. But it's not to uh, demand the school system to do it. And I think that's the point there. You know, if your child learns better at home, okay. But at some point here, we move beyond the pandemic and it is no longer a school district's responsibility to make a large investment for students who aren't going to be in their buildings. Uh, And at some point, that turns to you as a family, as a parent. And and that's not to say that schools won't offer other resources. They do. They offer a ton. I mean, there's a ton of work that you can get on the side if you look into it uh, within a school district, not, you know, an extra tutor or something like that. I mean, there is a ton of help out there. But if we're talking about the end of the day just not showing up, I mean, that's that's something different entirely. Adam, uh, thanks for waiting on hold here on WBEN. Hi, Brian. Yeah, I was I was, wanted to chime in on the important social aspect, one of the many, that uh, I found glaring uh, after remote learning was installed in our community. Um, my son 
was always before COVID a, an excellent student. Uh, very well. All of the reviews that came back from his teachers during the grading period were all positive. Gets along with others. Very respectful. And um, then we moved out to uh, the suburbs at, right in the middle of the pandemic. So when the school system, the school year started back up, my kids didn't know anyone um, and had to kind of forge through that remote for environment, not knowing any teachers either. And I'm a single father. I work away from home all day. So I have, like you said, I have to trust that he's going to sit at the computer and both of them and learn. And for the most part they do, but there's latitude there. There's no supervision. So they take it, you know, give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And um, I found that he would be distracted by um, his computer games. And I actually got a phone call from the counselor um, concerned that I guess during two different instances, a teacher asked for called on him to uh, provide some input and response to the discussion they were having. And his response was kind of a smart aleck response and short as if he just didn't care. And that was so uncharacteristic of him. And I don't think would have ever happened if he was in front of the teacher all the time and held accountable in front of his peers in real time and not hiding behind a blank muted out screen or video muted screen. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important that um, the kids stay in-person learning as much as possible. And in the rare cases, I guess there's probably some kids that are, that are much better at learning remotely, but only if they're tutored or helped, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, at it, I think you, you make excellent points and a couple of them there. And thank you for the call. I, that is your example that you gave is something that is not going to be quantified on, you know, any spreadsheet. It's not going to be reflected in almost anybody talking about this issue, right? But but it's these little things that you notice that can make up a big difference uh, that are not going to be talked about. But parents see it, and parents who are paying attention see it, and uh, people who are leading this uh, charge to get back into a school building to end remote learning, I mean, they can see it. And to your point about, you know, playing computer games, it's, you know, I can hand up. I mean, that would have been me in school. I mean, what do you think? Kids today have every distraction in the world at their fingertips, and you're going to ask them to not use it? We're going to sit in the same room as all these other distractions and just not ignore your video game in the corner, ignore your cell phone, ignore anything else that's going on? Give me a break. Like, of course that's not going to happen. I I would have been right there. And I would have done Somebody's uh, chiming in about, let's see, uh, remote learning. Uh, virtual was a joke, uh, this texter says, into our Volkswagen and Virtual Park text board, 8030930. Uh, teachers not failing you unless your attendance was abysmal. It said kids worked the system, copying each other's homework, texting answers, Googling answers. I mean, I would have been right there. I, it's actually kind of smart for the kids, right? I mean, Google all the answers. You have the tool right in front of you. <laughs> I mean, you you expect kids to not use it? Are you kidding me? Like, of course. And then as a parent, there's only so much you can do, right? A parent, you go out and work every day. You, Their kid's not allowed back in school. You are, you know, working. You're doing, you're trusting your kid. You think he's old enough to, and he is a trust. It could be the best kid in the world. 13 years old, he's at home. I mean, he's going to be, what, 
he's not going to be distracted. You're the best kid in the world. You're distracted by anything. I would read a book. I would read Moby Dick during class to not pay attention in class. I'd do the most boring thing in the world to not <laughs> pay attention to the schoolwork that's there. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. And then you come back and you see, wow, your grades have really improved. You seem like you're really doing good. Maybe remote learning is working out for you. When in reality, you're just going on Wikipedia to get all the answers because it's so easy. I mean, that is probably happening. The grade on the paper does not equal your entire education that you get from being in school. Sam in Amherst, you're on WBEN. What's going on? Hey, Brian. Um, I think I'm on, right? Am I the same you're talking to? Yep, you're on. Okay, great. Um, first of all, I'd like to say how spot on you are. You have um, incredible insight on this, and uh, I just want to say that. And uh, just just echoing a lot of what has been said already, um, I worked in the district um, for a long time, and I saw the beginning and, the, and all of last year with this, and... I can tell you from being in front of a class with half of my kids and then the other half online, um, we weren't allowed to make them um, put their pictures up uh, per se. And some of them would have, many of them didn't want to put their picture up uh, to have their, um, their photo or their, you know, their video cam on. And that made it really, really hard. Um, you know, you're doing your stuff and, you know, they look like they're there. And they're not there. Um, they're they're out elsewhere. And you know, I, I I at the end of the class, you'd see still see their bubble at the end of the class, and you wonder what the heck. Um, I just want to comment on the success. Uh, that comment that Sam said that's been such a success. I think that you hit it so spot on when you said success, and you questioned it. And uh, basically, yeah, it's it's something like, yeah, the, the grades were tempered because you didn't have the kids right in front of you. You couldn't hold them accountable like you would in the past. And um, so basically, yeah, oh, you can say that they learned well or they did well because it wasn't the same. The measurements weren't there. The evaluations weren't there that they would normally be, that would normally be there. So, you, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. I mean, you can't just say it was a, it's a raging, you know, it's, a, it's a, just an amazing success. Um, the distractions that you mentioned, uh, yeah, if the best kids in the world were distracted by being home. Whereas if you were, you know, in class, you would have the teacher in front of you. You know, you drift off or whatever. You're right there to bring them in, and, you know, you get the immediate um, response to your questions. Um, I, was, I was really it, – it was hard last year because the time response on a good day is, is uh, you know, you got to wait for response when they're in front of you. Now you're at home, or they're at home, and you're in front of a computer, and now you've got a normal response time and now compounding it with uh, the connections, whether they're there, <laughs> and you're waiting and you feel like you're an idiot. Uh, okay, Jamie, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Where are you? You know, Jamie, come in, come in. And so you have those issues to deal with. Um, you have the best kids in the world who are reluctant to respond, who are home, who are paying attention. So 
if they were there in front of you, they would be, in my opinion, they would be more likely to respond. The kids who are home, not so much. I mean, they, they're anonymous. So that's basically what I had to say. You, you hit it so well. Sam, I appreciate the call and appreciate some of the insight. And, you know, again, it's stuff that's not going to necessarily show in numbers or, or things like that. But you, you can see it firsthand. You can see the best teachers, the best kids giving the best effort. And things aren't there, right? And you don't even have to witness those things. What's happening in your own office, in your own workplace? Somebody's chiming in. I manage a team of professionals. I have to tell them to stop playing with their phones during meetings. How can we expect kids to focus? I'm about to go on a meeting right now in Zoom. Half the time, no, you have to wave your hand, you know, slam on a desk. How are you? you people aren't paying attention when, when you're on video. You're going to expect a five-year-old to do so? Like, give me a break. And somebody else on our text board, whatever happened to the children being our future? I, it's unbelievable. And this, is, this goes beyond remote learning. I, our, our children have been treated like second-class citizens for the entire pandemic. They have been the last thought, it seems, of everybody. The governor on TV every single day for months last summer. No word on schools. When did the word on schools that every single parent and teacher and administrator and you name it across New York State was waiting on, and he did it on a conference call? Can't even show his face on TV. And we're expected to believe that you know the effort is out there for kids. right? I, the, you can go back to... March of last year, you can go the entire end of the school year, and we're talking about, and this is no offense to uh, any bar owner, any restaurant owner, any retail stop, but uh, you're going to tell me that we need a measured response in how to reopening and schools are your last priority? Come on. Like, let's get it straight. And and it just appears like, here we go again. We're continuing on. I, I mean... You know, kids are wearing masks in outdoor locations all over the place. I, and, you know, they're almost looked at like it's they're a, a huge threat to all of us, right? I, it, it's unbelievable the mindset that's been there. And then that we still have a mindset that we're going to keep this going. That like, yeah, you know what? For some people, this worked great. Like, let's bring it back. Give me a break. We do have to, I mean, face the facts. We have to stop paying attention to these rare instances where things are working out beautifully. I mean, it is the rarity, it is the outlier where the remote learning program is a form of utopia for these kids who are trying to learn. Yet you listen to some people and they treat it like, wow, it's this it's this wave of kids. It's like half the kids learn better online. It's We're getting them ready for the future, which is online everything. So let's just now invest all of our money into this. I, tell me when we can have the rational discussion of looking at this, of hearing these stories, of, you know... Of looking at what we've done over the last, uh, you know, however many, of, 
you want things we haven't talked about. If you can't tell I'm scatterbrained, I mean, geez, the past two days, here we're talking with Dr. Stephen Turkovich earlier this morning from Oshai Children's Hospital, who, by the way, said that there are currently zero COVID patients in Oshai Children's Hospital as of last night, and there has been a handful um, at a time, maybe, uh, given the ent- over the entire last year and a half, yet uh, every news story you see is about the explosion and the outbreak that we're seeing of cases where that there is still a very low risk of a bad outcome of COVID in kids. Meanwhile, RSV cases are on the rise. And there is, I mean, there is nothing 100%, but it is plausible, as we heard from Dr. Turkovich today, as we heard from Dr. Grisanti, the pediatric urgent care yesterday, I mean, it's plausible that everything we've been doing to protect, not kids, to protect adults, Remember, that was what it was all about. You don't want a kid taking it home to grandma. You don't want a kid taking it home to somebody who might be immunocompromised. That was the entire reasoning, or at least what was said publicly. But all these efforts that we've been uh, using in schools by closing them down and locking everyone down to protect adults may be a contributing factor into this rise in the very serious RSV that we're seeing. Uh, Cases rising at a level that you would normally see at the end of November happening at the middle of August and perhaps only going up. You know, just another way where, you know, can we talk seriously about, can we treat the children like the future? Anyone? I mean, it just doesn't seem to be anyone's interest. If you want to uh, see sweet baby James, you can do so. He's coming to uh, KeyBank Center. That was our big uh, topic, at the <laughs> big headliner at the start of the show. And I apologize, too. I wish I had more time to uh, take more of your calls. And uh, I know David Bellavia is coming up next. I know Joe is going to be here later on in the day. That's why he wasn't here with me today. Uh, but I'm uh, sorry we ran out of uh, time to get to that because I'm only allowed uh, only allowed a certain amount of time to rant and rave and get upset on the air. But uh, thanks for being with me. Thanks for waiting on hold. BMAS and Beamer, we'll be back tomorrow on WBEN. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.